let's go so you know what i just realized this is this is a first face-to-face podcast for me so you know you're taking me like my podcast virginity well well (laughs) uh, i i hope that um this is perhaps something small that will lead to a big development you know in in terms of podcasting and 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 that you will be able to get some um some big names on board as well into your podcast so hopefully thanks for that'll be that'll be in in 2024 sometime hopefully all right so give give us a elevator pitch who is martin sure so my full name is martinez kvaxas in lithuanian but on linkedin you'll find me as martinez kvaxas because of the funny lithuanian letter sh but in a nutshell i solve web problems I'm good at problem solving. Mm. Um, so if you have a web project that needs some improvement, needs speeding up, or needs expansion, scaling, I think I could, I would be quite good at solving any of those problems. Is there a common problem you face as a, you know, as a, as a, is a full stack, right? At the moment, I am a full stack, but in my heart, I'm a backend developer. So if someone gives you a project, you're leaning towards the back end. Yes. Yeah, okay. that's that's where I find joy working on the back end. Whereas working on the front end, um I find it a little bit less rewarding for some reason. Is it technology based? Uh, so why? I think it's because front end is a little bit more visual and um you need more attention to detail in terms of how things look and mm. how they are arranged. And I don't think I have an eye for that. But what I do like is transferring information from one point to another point, you know, transforming that information, doing something with it, um, you know, and then you can also talk about making API calls, integrating things. And I just enjoy that kind of stuff where you exchange data between things and make sure it works and make sure that it stays up time and it, is efficient it doesn't use too much memory okay so do you have a common problem which comes up so if you think about you know your career you had uh, a lot of different positions which mm-hmm. either a backender or full stack i presume mm-hmm. is there a common theme you face as a, as a problem or a challenge to solve sure um i think the most common probably would be where a project starts out small and you create your database schemas mm. for that project which is still a small project and it works perfectly fine for that time being and then a few years later the project keeps growing and growing and growing and eventually mm. that your design of the database hits a bottleneck for example you know you didn't establish um, foreign keys somewhere or there's some indexes missing but because back then for example you had a few thousand rows there it was super fast mm. but now you have a million rows and it's all of a sudden it's very slow and why is that oh because there's an index missing um so that is probably the most common theme that i've encountered it's, so it's, it's, the legacy legacy systems effectively the scale is either organic or you know maybe funding induced but you suddenly see your system going from hundred to thousand to hundreds of thousands and all the poor decisions architectural decisions comes 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 out i actually have a story to share which is literally that uh, with idea drop it was built 
in India. It's a startup, no surprise. Got built in India. It was outsourced. Outsourced, exactly. So it got built and it got brought back to UK. It, you know, started getting traction, getting sold. It's seeing around maybe 5,000 a day. And one of the clients came on board, which was a, a UK government police force. And then it was Ericsson as a business, which brought like 100 plus, uh, 100,000 plus mm -hmm. people instantly. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a, you know, the solution effectively has a feed, you know, think of like Facebook feed, mm -hmm. LinkedIn feed, and, and it just stopped loading. Like literally stopped wow. loading. Like the next day we come in the office and hey, we have a problem, just time's out. <laughs> yeah, you're getting request timeouts. Yeah. All right. That was um, fun. And and one thing I wanted to say as well is that um outgrowing your initial database design and all of a sudden your application perhaps well not not suddenly, but over time your application getting slower is not necessarily a bad sign. It just means that you're growing and you need to go back and address any mm. technical debt that you might have, which yep. in this case is architectural yep. um, database design. It's what like I call a good problem to have. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's yeah. not like we're losing clients. Oh no. my God, what we do, that's a bad problem. But it's like we have too many of them. Yeah, It's a very nice problem to have. You actually mentioned technical debt. Um, in your maybe current company or companies before, what is the healthiest picture of managing technical debt you've ever seen? In terms of actively working on it, or what, what you would presume is a healthy picture of, of a company or a team, you know, uh, dealing with technical debt or managing it. Um, so I think it depends a lot on how big and how old the product is. Hmm. If it's a newish product and if it doesn't have many customers, for example, then it's probably safe to assume that technical debt might not be that high. Right, there might not be that much of the debt to address. Mm. But if you have a if you have a um, older product with lots of clients, and then perhaps you um, allow the clients to request new features and things like that, and perhaps a client would would come along and say, "Well, we like you, and we want to um, use your product, but you have to implement this feature." And then you go ahead and do that. So for this kind of stuff, um, technical debt is a lot worse. And um, what I think, uh, probably for us, where I'm at right now with my current company, which we will discuss later, mm. um, I would say probably the healthiest thing would be 50% of development time that we spend would be addressing technical debt at the, the moment. That's a lot. That is a lot. That, that's a, that's but a I, don't think, I don't think that would be ongoing full-time. I think maybe that would be six months, maybe 12 months mm. of, of that. And then afterwards, that should be less. So it's almost like a, you just want to pay off the debt exactly. yeah. much much quicker than, than, than deal with that. So 20% is quite often I see is, um, mm. you know, you have uh, a time as a team, you know. Yeah. So effectively it's one day a week, yeah. you know. How you use it, is it actual day a week? Is it yeah. more, you know, two days a two-week sprint? Or is it, you know, maybe you go three months without addressing it, and then you have like full two-week sprints for technical debt. Do you have an, an opinion what works in, in that sense? Like um, what process can manage technical debt quite efficiency, efficiently? I think it has to be driven by developers themselves because developers will have a good picture of what they think is out of date and what needs improving and any quick wins that might be had. 
because um, for from what I have seen previously, and now this has improved, but previously you would have a product team saying we want to implement these features X, Y, Z. And as developers saying, well, actually we want to spend some time and clear off some of these old you know, things that we wanted to improve for a while. So there, there's, there would be a clash uh, between new features and technical debt. So going back to the question, what was the question again? Sorry. I don't remember. No. Okay. <laughs> but anyway. Did, what was your opinion about what can, what process can manage technical right, debt eff right. effect effectively and efficiently? Okay. So, yeah. So I think uh, needs to there needs to be strong involvement from the CTO to um, perhaps sell the value of mm. clearing and addressing technical debt. I think that there needs to be a strong input from that. Um, uh, because as... as developers you might not have that much um influence mm. in terms of what goes next in the next print i right? really like that yeah um so i think the the healthiest picture would be having a cto who has been hands-on himself and who realizes the value of addressing technical debt in time and before it builds up mm. yeah i really like that because you need you need a buy-in it's it's yeah. a top-down process yeah. like if the business doesn't really understand the value of managing technical debt or paying it off, yep. um, financially speaking, it's going to be very hard to compete to things like uh, new features which can capture more market sure. share or just you know bigger clients. So yeah, it needs to come from top down. Yeah. Okay. And the, the, yeah. the difficult thing about addressing technical debt is that unless there's a speed improvement, like an, a dramatic speed improvement, there's nothing to show. Right, you do something, you pay off the debt. For example, you I don't know, restructure some code or retractor mm. some code, um, but the end user doesn't see any of that. You know, mm. it's still the same, right? Unless so, unless you do a massive speed up, they, they, they won't notice any difference. So, what has changed for external you know? eye? Exactly, hundred percent. Exactly. I mean, for internal, you might measure things like uh, you know, like from development experience perspective. So, if you have some type of you know health assessment of a how the team feels towards the things they do every day. You know, oh, this is annoying. I just don't want to touch mm -hmm. that side. Or, you know, I'm happy to work on all of these things. It's challenging. It's interesting. If you capture that measurement somehow, you might see things changing mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that you're getting a much better engagement survey type yeah. of results coming from that, which is internal, but that still leads to, you know, talent retention, yeah. you know, talent attraction things. How do you guys work right now? Um, are you fully remote or are you hybrid? Are you like in office? We, most of the team are fully remote and some are semi-hybrid. And by, and by semi-hybrid, I mean, it's not like two days in the office. It's, it's more like one day this week, then one day the next two weeks. So it's by choice. So... Um, by default, we're, we are all fully remote, but some team members who live closer to offices um, have the choice to, to go in if, if they would like to. So at the moment, we are fully remote. So does the business have the same amount of offices before you went fully remote? Or is it just like you were always fully remote? It's not like, you know, COVID-induced yeah. remoteness. Um, so it, it actually was... Um, so it's a, it's 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 an interesting story. So the company that I work for at the moment is um, called well they they were called Do the Sheet and I, and since a year and a half ago now I think they got acquired by the Access Group, which is a big corporation. Um, 
but I joined Duty Sheet with the intention that I will be the first and perhaps the only remote worker because my plan was to move to Wales with my current girlfriend um, to live closer to her parents, buy a, ha- buy a house, start a family, uh, things like that. So um, the idea was I'll join Duty Sheet. I will work from the Leatherhead office until I buy a house in Wales and then be fully remote. Um, so that was underway. Um, and then COVID happened. And then our CEO had the foresight to go fully remote for everyone. I think it was a week or two weeks before any lockdowns happened. Mm. Uh, so I was a bit surprised by that. I thought, oh, everyone's fully remote. Okay, oh, that's cool. That's nice. Um, and now that I look at it, that, that was actually re- a really good call because, um, uh, you know, the, the CEO wanted to make sure that um, we don't have the whole team with COVID because they were all in office and now everyone's out and there's no development going on. Um, so it was like insurance, right? So COVID happened, everyone was remote for a while. Um, and then everyone was still remote, even after your lockdown eased up. And then I think another lockdown happened and it eased up again. Um, and we started hiring people in remote positions. So at first everyone was an office worker but that went remote. And then afterwards, we started hiring people for remote positions because we saw that it was working quite well for us. Were you interviewing for that? That's that's a very interesting point. And um, I do have a maybe controversial opinion mm-hmm. about, about remote. But it starts with, um, or it it's around the fact that some people, and, and, I, and I leaned towards like a junior developers, mm-hmm. have real challenges of self-organization. Sure. Or self-management. Sure. So I think that understanding of how you structure your day, you know, what's important for that day, what's important in general, mm-hmm. you know, being able to see a bigger vision of your role, how you plug in the team and, and things like that, that comes, you know, w- with experience and just becoming sure. a little bit more senior. So when you get people in a remote position and they are quite junior, I feel like they're going to really struggle, mm-hmm. you know, in just just performing and gelling. Mm. And I was like, why businesses don't actually interview for remote capabilities? Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you when you do interviews for remote positions, you just do interviews for like a soft and guard skills, but you don't really go like, did you ever work for a remote company? Yeah, yeah. You know, if you would, how would you deal with communication? Mm-hmm. You know, how like just going through these common and main challenges of actually doing remote. So when you started hiring, did you guys, did any of that? I don't think we did. No, I don't think we did. Because uh, one of the difficulties would be, I don't think most, so most of the uh, development professionals, I don't think they've done remote work. Like there was a minority who had. Mm. So, you know, if you were interviewing for a remote uh, position back then, most of the people, I don't think, would have have had experience remote in the first place. So it's like a chicken and egg situation, you know, which one comes first. So... I think that's why we didn't um, uh, interview for any remote capabilities, as far as I know. And but you know, I think you raise a very interesting point in, in terms of like self-organization and 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 um, how one would prioritize their day in terms of uh, work. But then you could also ask the same question in the office. You know, how how does one um, prioritize the day in the office? So that that's that's likely where the challenge is coming from. Mm-hmm. My perspective is like if you walk in the office likely got a mirror 
what you see. And as well, if you're gonna just be effectively running like a headless chicken, someone will come to you and go like, I lost. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mm-hmm. what's happening. Sure. And as well, you can easily, you know, sort of go in, maybe catch a people in the ki- yeah. kitchen and sort of maybe get shaped into, a, you know, a, a better day in that sense. And yeah. I got this one feedback, uh, which is really relates to this is, um, you know, from a, like a senior mobile developer and, and he joined a big company, a fully remote position. And he was basically, you know, onboarding process was weak. So he had a lot of questions. And he was bugging the same guy because uh, he was giving the answers. And at some point he was like, I felt bad of asking the questions because I was like, I'm just taking all your time. Yeah. So he stopped asking questions. Mm-hmm. And then he just went off on trying to onboard himself, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, going through Confluence, look at the information. Because he was like, you know, I, f- I feel bad asking all the questions, which I was like, that, that, that's a remote challenge. You wouldn't get yeah. that in office, you know, someone would come in and just go like, how can I help? Yeah. Just an opinion though. But that's yeah. that's where my controversial opinion comes from. And as well, the gelling piece. Um, how close do you feel to like all the, you know, the, the uh, other team members? Close, yeah, close. quite close, I would say. Um, because we are quite, well, I think what helps is we are quite small in terms of our team. You know, we, so when we got acquired, we still, stayed as a single team and you know that is like 12 15 people maybe and apart from sales you know they they do their own thing um but you know and the rest of the team after sales like you have you know product development quality assurance etc support uh we are all like you know as a single team and um yeah, it works really well. I think, you know, everyone's quite close. Everyone's very supportive of each other. Uh, we are using Teams. We use Slack. I still miss Slack. Mm. I, I think Slack is awesome. So Yeah, Teams sucks, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, even now, you know, uh, we've been using Teams for two, maybe three years. I still want to go back to Slack. Mm. I, I love the custom emojis and stuff. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. We just, uh, we gel really well. And one other thing that we do after we start going remote, sometimes we do these um, remote social things. Um, so, you know, everyone goes on a call, for example, you know, we, everyone gets pizzas by the company, the company orders pizzas. And then we go play a game like Among Us or go play the Google Street View game, you know, where you... Um, go into a random place on Google Street View and you have to guess where you are. GeoGuessr, I think that's called. Mm. Um, so we do little activities like that. And then every now and then we also do in-person meetups as well. Um, so during COVID, it was quite interesting to see someone who you haven't seen like for a whole year. You know, that person was remote and you've never seen them in person before. You only, well, you've seen them on camera every day, but you've never seen them in person. It's different communication, isn't it? It's so, yeah. it's so odd, like... We talk every day. I see you on video, yeah. but then I meet you in the, like face to face physically. If like it doesn't feel like I know you, it's yeah. just like that. That that moment feels like, like yeah, like we need to re- somehow re reconnect or yeah. not. It's interesting. Um, so you you're basically in a mobile. You're not distant. That's why you're yeah. saying. Yeah. yeah, but I think it depends on the size of the company. I think it depends on the, on the structure. Uh, I think if you had a well, Access is a very large company, but we are siloed as as a product team, so I don't think that's why it works well. Um, so just I think it depends on the size of the team. Um, if if there were um, if it were less granular, 
And if we were like, you know, a few hundred people involved in the whole of our product, I think that would, there would be a lot less gelling, mm. a lot less communication. But now, because there's only so few of us, like I don't know, 15, I, don't know, I would need to count them to get the exact number. Um, everyone relies on each other quite, quite a bit. So everyone has to step up and, and help each other. I think that's why. So effectively, there's a, there's a number where the gelling is um, quite doable yeah. and quite there. Yeah. And then you you could replicate that. You're probably having less people but more teams. Yeah. Allow the teams to gel. And then do you have any, like like a team lead or like a team leadership who drives the you know the, the team gelling and the potentially those remote activities, the meetups? Or is it more like a you know, team call? Um, well, sometimes, sometimes it comes from within a team saying, hey, guys, we should meet up. We haven't met up for three months or mm. six months. Uh, sometimes it comes down from the management saying, hey, we have a new financial year uh, coming along. I don't know, is that in April? When does it start? It's like, it starts on a different month mm. for, for, the, for each you know, company. Uh, it's quite funny, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, it is the way it is. So sometimes, you know, sometimes it comes internally from within a team, hey, let's meet up. Sometimes it comes, hey, guys, it's a financial, new financial year. It would be good if you could come into a London office and then, you know, we can go out for some pizzas afterwards. Um, so it, it's it, it's both. That's quite nice. I do like, I do like that remote but not distant situation. Mm. And I do like meeting people. And I feel like personal opinion, you know, hybrid uh, Hybrid is the best mm-hmm. of the both planets. So you have, a, you know, people planet and you have sort of like a business planet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the business eventually just cares about results and, you yeah. know, things getting done. So they, they care about efficiency and effectiveness yeah. of work. And, and you know, people just want to have more life and less work yeah. in, in effect. So I think the value you got from remote it's very, very tangible, isn't it? You yeah. were able to move to Wales, yeah. uh, buy a house at a good prices, yeah. which yeah. is, I mean, if people understand London market, yeah. it's just ridiculous. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely ridiculous. So, so you, you know, you got a house which has enough space. It's a good house. Uh, you got your kids as well. Yeah. Uh, you got a boy, six. Six so months f- old, yeah. And then four years. So you just being present, just helping yeah. the wife, and and still getting you know um, effectively paid by a company which is a, a London based salaries right? Yeah, uh, effectively, yeah. Um, no, no commute as well. Forgot about that. Yeah, no, no commute. commute that helps a lot. So a lot yeah. of time is being saved by not having to commute, and also a lot of money is being saved by not having to commute. Um, uh, I think it's so under uh, underestimated how much money yeah. is saved. I live and I commute twice a week, and I pay. Basically, six hundred pounds mm-hmm. a month. That's a lot of money. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's a that's basically a proper holiday for for that for any given year. Yeah. Yeah. If you were leasing a car for six hundred pounds a month, you could you know lease a very luxurious car. Yeah, like um, Tesla. If you, yeah, if you put it into <laughs> that kind of perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's been it's been mostly a blessing. Uh, you know, working remotely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I get to see my children. I think yourself mentioned mm. when. Before COVID, um, you—I I remember having this conversation when, when you said you would go to work to London in the morning, and your boys would be asleep, and you'd come back in the evening, and your boys would be in bed already asleep. Yep. And, exactly, you know, seven you, to seven. Yeah, um, and that sucked with me. Um, so yeah, I, and I take it for granted now, right? Because I've—I've I've been able to 
see my boys since they were born in day one i was able to see them you know wake up and go and go to bed every day pretty much almost so i take it for granted right to me this is normal this is how it should be um but also you know there there, there are some downsides in remote working so one of them like you said perhaps bouncing ideas of people in the office you know that is easier uh you know when you're face to face that is easier to do bouncing ideas off each other um and then the other thing is i think there's a there might be more distractions at home because you're working at home okay say you're not on a meeting or whatever you're doing some coding and then your child comes along, you know, he, he's old enough now that he reached the door and he pull it down, opens the door and comes in and like, da, 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 da. Mm. Um, so, and you know, that is a distraction, um, during working hours, uh, which we try to m- minimize, you know, with, with, uh, my girlfriend. Uh, I think the ultimate solution to that would be a garden office because then that is enclosed space that is outside the house, but it's still next to the house. So that I think is my, long-term idea to get a garden office it's a very experience driven saying over there i had the Mm. same couple of times you know you're meeting kids walk in and i actually tend to find myself unable to concentrate Mm -hmm. at home if i spend let's say at any given week i actually like to go to the office Mm -hmm. and 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 just change the scenery you know change the offices it just keeps me on edge but let's say for whatever reason you know i have spent a whole week at home I would most likely will go and do like a hot desk in in my town mm-hmm. or like a coffee shop for a couple of hours. Just again, just concentration yeah. points. So that that office garden, uh, I, I've seen that done quite well yeah. by by other people. Just way way mentioned. So overall, you know, it's good. But is there any like when you think about other industries, you know, like people who just effectively cannot do remote it's like like any feeling where you go like what advice i could give them mm-hmm. you know because you know i'm having now a, a better let's say life and work balance was you know people making i don't know cups physically in a factory like, yeah you know yeah. they can't make cups at home like yeah. it's like do, do do you see the whole planet somehow going remote it's like or is it just us you know, developers being lucky? Yeah, well, that is a very good question. I think development was one of the first professions that was enabled to go remote with the technologies that are available at the moment, you know, mm. like faster internet and, and, and things like that. Um, it's, you know, if you if we were still using dial-up, we probably wouldn't be doing remote because wouldn't be using, you know, high quality video and, and even voice probably, you know, would be quite low quality with dial-up. So, you know, I think um, we are now at a place in terms of technology, having gigabit internet where we can actually work remotely and it's quite efficient as well in terms of um, working as a team and seeing each other, uh, you know, seeing each other's face in real time, well, almost real time, mm. a couple, some milliseconds lag. Um so for development, for developers or for software rather and technology, I think it's a blessing. But, you know, for factory workers, I don't see how they could work remotely unless it's some sort of, um, say, operating a machine and you can mm. do that from from home. That could be a thing. That's, um, yeah, that's... That could be a yeah. thing, right? I mean, uh, but, you know, like making cups, that will probably be automated at some point. Right, you know, if it's something manually intensive, I, 
I would imagine most things will be automated sooner or, or later. So that that's is, a good question. So that is a thing that you know probably won't be done remotely because it will be automated sooner rather than it can be um, done remotely. Right? It's it's more efficient to automate it rather than to get a worker to do remote work on that whatever they're doing in the factory. And then also you have a bunch of things where it's quite hard to automate, like um, you know construction workers, for example. Uh, bricklaying, I did see things like bricklaying. Some of it can be automated, but you still need someone to supervise the machine and things like that. But then you have other things like plumbing, like you know laying pipes in the house um, or electrical work, you know, and all of that has to be done on site. And I don't see it being done remotely. I don't know any 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 time in the next maybe twenty years. Where you where we probably you know go go science fiction and imagine like an android, where you can jump into virtual reality and then control the android or whatever like you know twenty thirty fifty years from now I don't know. That that's a good one. Let's go back to AI, and we uh, and how that actually plugs into potentially automating mm. just industries in general. But before we do that, do you think we're gonna have a remote workers and on-site workers almost? as two different classes, uh, which will always sort of argue about situation and, and you know, try to equal the, mm. the, the, the playing game field or not. Mm-hmm. And one thing which comes to mind is what we have between males and females and, you know, I don't know, females in the executive sure. roles and that, yeah. you know, all that sort of... Uh, Make sure there's a balance. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Like, I remember, I think it was Elon Musk who said that it's just not fair that there's a as a group of people who can do remote and that others can't mm. because, you know, it's very clearly, a, you know, a beneficial in the sense yeah. of life and more balance. Do you see that going that far? Yeah, well, um, I think the thing that Elon Musk has said, and I think it's also the same thing that is being, that is driving return to office and, and driving from remote to go hybrid. I think, um, I mean, you could might call it a conspiracy theory or whatever, mm. but I think, I think, on management level, people like to control, right? And they want people in the office so they can see what they're doing and, you know, have a sense of control. Even if, if they're not directing them control, you know, you can, they can see what people are doing and, you know, um, have um, an overview. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So, that, uh, you yeah. know, so I, think, I, think, I think that's where Elon Musk is coming because where he's coming from because um, if you don't have your people in the office, then... It's probably harder to monitor them. Like, what what are you doing right now? You know, if they're not oh, in the yeah. office, you can't see what they are doing right 100%. now, right? Right. You could set up a message on Teams, you know, and then they could reply instantly. They might not reply instantly. So I think it's about it's about control. Um, and in terms of having like two different classes, where one class is you have let's say a working class where they are working on site, and then we have another like uh, middle class and they're working remotely. Hopefully, it will not come to that um, because I think you will always have some companies who, even like for software companies, they will want people working um, on site in an office. I, yeah, I do see I, I do see that as well. And that pull back to office where, where you mentioned uh, it it's hundred percent happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's probably feeling that. And I subscribe to remote work news, uh, and I. I've seen how the message changed. You know, there was a big campaign about, um, 
you're not going to really learn if you're not in an office mm-hmm. and it just accelerates your learning, accelerates skills development. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was another push around, you're not going to bump into decision makers, so you're not going to advance your career that quick. So, it's, you know, the different angles which are yeah. being tried. And at the end, it was almost like ultimatum. Like I've seen, you know, uh, I think it was Amazon and it was Salesforce just going like, you're just coming back or you're losing job. Yeah. And, you know, it could be potentially attrition, causing move so they don't need to let people go yeah, exactly. or, yeah, yeah. or it could be you know that is just what's up like that's how we see the business you know yeah. should, should be run all right so let's go back to that ai okay. vr thing so how do you think all of what's currently happening with with large machine you know modules and chat gdp and then what we're seeing coming up do you feel like some of this have that move towards a lot of or some of the industries being automated? I think that one of the first thing industries to be automated, and it is in place already with chatbots and stuff, is um, customer service. And I do recall seeing a demo by Google. I don't remember if it was a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, where they did. Um, so I was I was live streaming, and I think the actual the demo was in USA somewhere, right? They, they were doing a live demo. and. Um, they were using a um, AI voice assistant to call a um, hairdresser to make an appointment. And that was all hand- handled in real time. So I think customer services will be one, one of the first things to, to really feel the impact of AI. Um, we will probably have a lot less people being employed in customer services, and you will only have a handful of, of um, supervisors that... If things escalate, for example, and you actually need a human to talk to, then they'll escalate that supervisor. Um, so I think we're at, at that stage already. Uh, yeah, yeah, 100%. I yeah. mean, I get that with Amazon all mm. the time. And, and any bigger players, like it's all just AI bots. Yeah. And, you know, you can push them, push them, push them. And at some point, and at the end, they go like, okay, here's the form or here's the phone mm. number. Yeah. You, you can go to real person now. But even this is stopping. Mm. Like, I can't remember exactly what... I was dealing with, but uh, I, I was just unable to reach a person. Mm-hmm. It was just like, you know, this AI question, this, and it's just at the end of the day, it was like, okay, fine, you know, I need to find a different way to find a phone number. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, so customer services is already happening. And then any other areas? Um, as far as I know, there's uh, a few news channels. I think one is maybe from China, maybe one's from India, where they're using an AI avatar to deliver the news. Mm. So that's happening. That's quite interesting, I think. Um, then, um, so- somewhat relatedly, I think Bruce Willis is the first actor who sold his um, the the rights to use him as a three um, D representation in the movie. So you know, we could we could see him. And he's not doing very well in terms of health as well. Mm. That's that's a real shame. But anyway, we might see him um, in a movie where it's Bruce Willis as a digital representation, and uh, there there will be some sort of you know. Um, so the voice is AI. The voice will probably be AI, yeah, um, deep learning mm. or whatever that is called, and and um, might be you know in the acting motion capture by another actor. I don't know how that changes our work. As in, if we move away from, you know, uh, industries being automated yeah. and we go back to development. Yeah. So do you, do you think there's a threat of, of just, just you know, code production? 
You just stop coding? Yeah, well, um, I think there is somewhat of a threat at the moment, but the what is stopping us from, let's say, from using Copilot, you know, Copilot, but GitHub or Microsoft and other tools is that um, all of these LLMs, I think it's called large language models, mm. they are hosted in the cloud. I mean, with Azure, you can, you know, have your own in this instance. But... Um, most of them are hosted in a, in a cloud, and whatever you, whatever prompts you submit or whatever code you submit goes in the cloud, and and the model can learn from that, right? So mm. you are potentially um, exposing company code to a you know LLM, um, and that is not a great thing to have, right? You don't want to because it's proprietary, right? This is you know it's your your product, right? You shouldn't be giving away. And information uh, is exactly the same and thing. information. Yeah, mm. your source code. You know, just giving away source code. So that I think that is what's stopping us currently as a company same. from from you know yeah. m- moving towards that. Um, so I think there's a little bit of um, time before perhaps there's ways how to make the LLMs more efficient so that you know they they use less VRAM. We can also run them with CPUs which run RAM, but as far as I know, that is a bit slower. Um, but from what I've heard, and I do read Hacker News um, on a daily basis, and there's been some ways how they can improve LLMs, make them smaller, and yet make them more accurate than ChatGPT, for example. So we are moving that way, um, and there's still a bit to go before we can actually host or use an LLM locally within our you know laptop. You have a laptop, and the LLM is inside the laptop, and there's nothing that is going to a cloud. I think that would be that would be ideal, but before we get there, we'll probably have our own private instances on Azure or AWS and use that for for coding. But anyway, in terms of threat, I my hope is that we are moving towards where we will not need to worry as much about writing code, but instead we will do more of a man, managerial. If you like role where you can, we you know use prompts to tell LLMs what what we want to achieve, they output some code, we review the code. Is this good code? Um, so I, th- I hope that that's where we are moving towards. Um, so it's less building, but it's more of less coding, but more of like building and integrating solutions together. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that it's moving more towards um, gains of efficiency in terms mm. of employee productivity. Right, so everyone just becomes more productive, and then you know we can address technical debt, like the, you know the, you what I discussed mm. previously. We can address it in a more timely manner and more effectively. Um, so that's my hope that that's where we're moving to towards into like the medium, short to medium term. But in effect, they they cannot give you solutions which they weren't able to learn, right? So that mm. means if 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 you're asking something which has not been written yet. Mm. They cannot really propose, you know, a, a code sample, isn't it? So effectively, if you think about f- like a frontier, yeah. th- there's always going to be an edge which is getting pushed yeah. around code being written, which has not been written yeah. yet. So there's still going to be a, something which needs to get coded, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, you know, someone will still need to code all of the stuff behind the AI, right? Until we reach a point where AI can, AI code, can itself, code itself, isn't it? which yeah. I think is called um, singularity. Mm. 
but I'm, you know, this is like 20, 20, 45, I think it was originally singularity, but I'm not sure if it's just about software or about the hardware as well, hmm. whether AI will be able to improve the hardware all by itself and the software by itself. That's well. a scary time, isn't it? Because yeah. then it's almost like, I'm going to build your Terminator. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but software, I think, I think it'll happen quite soon, but hmm. hardware, I'm not sure. Hmm. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of development, um, Will there be any redundancies? There might be eventually. I think there will be a lot of redundancies at some point where everything can just be automated. You'll have, you know, perhaps one person in in the whole of Tesco supermarket because everything else is self-checkout. Lonely times. Yeah. Um, and we will hopefully, the you know, our governments will have the foresight to see that this is what's coming and, you know, move towards universal credit to um, reduce the um, the pain of you know if it's quick yeah yeah, i see that i mean if it happens as people are predicting you know exponential growth and implementation and it's just the change is so rapid and it comes so fast that then it's just going to be painful but at the same time you can you might just have some you know organic change Mm -hmm. which is just being managed so it's not that painful but yeah i do agree I, i i do see a lot of efficiency even right now mm-hmm. so when you think about the businesses and how they use ai it's not causing redundancies but it's just causing a much better operational margin yeah. on, on on effectively like financial sheets meaning that you get the same done but you just need less people to get the same mm-hmm. done which means you just you know you're getting more profits by doing exactly the same yeah. but with less people so that's like it's happening yeah. like that's that's quite evident and a lot of solutions which are built on top of the uh, you know, strong LLMs like ChatGDP is basically that. It's mm-hmm. just efficiency gain. But yeah, market is great if it's going to go somewhere. Um, do you have like a VR set at home? Do you like ever play yeah. or use for anything? Uh, I've got a Quest 2, All right. uh, which I have used for uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator. Okay. Um, uh, there's a few games, actually. I think it was one, one called um, uh, a Strictly... VR game, I forgot the name now, but it's on Steam. It's essentially fighter jets, but it's the game was built. It was optimized for VR, so it's not real fighter jets. It's not the cockpits are not real, uh, but it's optimized for ease of use within you know AR environment, uh, VR environment. Um, I forgot the name now, but yeah, it's on on Steam. Um, so yes, but it's, it's quite fun, and then you know other games like um, Beat Saber, but in terms of actually working and mm. doing coding, uh, the Quest 2 is not a device for that. The re- resolution is not good enough to actually be coding. You could do it if you wanted to, but I kind of tried it and I thought, nah, I prefer my real setup. Is there anything else outside of entertainment you use VR for right now or you, you can see yourself using that in you know, a couple of years? Well, you know, the Quest 3 is out and... Um, I did look at it I, in terms of specifications. The resolution is a little bit better. Um, it is a lighter headset, um, but I don't think it is still for productivity use, mm-hmm. Quest 3. But what I am very interested in is in seeing the um, Apple VR headset, Apple Vision Pro or whatever the the... the, the the catchy name, the fancy name that they call it. Eye glasses or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Eye headsets or that. Yeah. Because um, it's very expensive. You know, their headset is very expensive. 
And Apple usually, when they release a product, release a product, it is quite well flushed out. By the way, I'm not I th- often. Yeah, yeah, often. Yeah, mm. usually it was. I I had an iPod a long, long time ago, and it was the user interface and everything it was brilliant. Mm. It was it was really nice. They tend really nice to device. not release shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like yeah, mm. yeah. It's yeah. They they work on it a lot. They spend a lot of money. Then they release it. It's expensive. But, uh, but do you do you think they're gonna aim at um, you know productivity markets? I I, I still see VR as just being pure entertainment. Yeah. So the the problem that I see with VR technology, and you could call it, I think, another acronym is XR, like extended reality. So it's not augmented, it's not virtual, it's extended, right? Mm. So you take your current reality and you extend it with digital stuff. Uh, so the problem with VR currently that I see it is that you know you have to put on put something on on your head. It's not like you can sit down on a chair. You have your monitor, you have your keyboard, and you start work. And then you want to take a break, you just get up and go take a break. You have to put something on that is quite bulky. Mm. Um, it's got a limited battery, and um, it is not that comfortable for long term. Okay, so. I think it's not quite there that I think we have to do a lot of miniaturization when it's as easy to have a augmented reality or virtual as it is wearing glasses, then for sure, you know, we'll have lots of stuff in terms of working with VR, like you know, you're doing productivity stuff with VR for sure. But um, we, I think we still have a long way to go to get there. You know, Facebook uh, released or like in a beta, like a, a, a like a VR glass, not not VR glasses, just like a glasses which record mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you can bind it with your phone and you put it on your face, and it's just basically, yeah. you know, you go stream or whatnot. Yeah, well, Google did their thingy. Yeah. Um, Google didn't stick, isn't it? Because I remember Google glasses. Yeah, is... I don't remember the name now, but they yeah. they shelled the project. Yeah. Um, there's a few products actually which are more like glasses, but the resolution is not that great. The the angle, you know, the field of view is quite narrow. Uh, so I think it's slowly moving there, but it's it's not quite there yet. In in, in terms of being productive, doing work, coding, uh, I don't think it's there yet. There's some companies which are working on it. There's some accounts which I've read uh, people are successfully using it. Um, you know, that goes hand in hand with remote work, I think. Mm. You know, we're doing, if you're working remotely, then in your virtual reality and you can see accurate representations of your co-workers in virtual reality um i think that'd be that'd be yeah, pretty that's, cool that's that's that that's easily Im- imaginable yeah. it's easy to imagine yeah. that that happening so maybe to close the the theme of um from investment perspective you know if you look at public traded companies like you know facebook and nvidia and imd who p- play into ai scene you know one mm-hmm. by building the chips and you know other mm-hmm. by just sort of innovating on a tech there's a budgets which they report publicly mm-hmm. which is called r d budgets or mm-hmm. research and development budgets so there's a shitloads of money which is being positioned towards just advancing the the ai angle yeah. from all big companies and just looking and thinking about that money going into that to advance the tech, the hardware, and the software, it's easy to imagine very interesting planet in like five to ten years mm-hmm. and just seeing what happens. So we'll have another conversation in a couple of years yeah. <laughs> with the new headsets. I I wonder sometimes, you know, my boys um, 
they're super young now. Mm. But by the time when they're adults, how how is the planet going to look like in terms of technology? Uh, I think it'll be very different. You know, for us, when we were, you know, when we were born and by the time we were 20, the, the growth was flatter. Mm. And now it's becoming more exponential. Oh, so for yeah. them, the change will be more drastic, I think, in terms of technology improvement. It, probably you won't see flying cars and other things. It would be cool, though. Yeah, it would be cool. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's go back to development a little bit, because that, that was a sci-fi. We just went like yeah. deep on AI and VR. Um, if we take back to your team. Sure. So one topic which interests me now is, uh, is just how business structure teams and uh, how they align the team skills towards what they do. And there's a, there's a concept that's called team topologies. So mm-hmm. we have like you know, stream aligned teams, which effectively works with the just business streams could be just, just, you know, building new features or, you know, doing new integrations. Then we have like a platform teams, you know, who, who effectively just deal with the platform challenges, mm-hmm. just, you know, like DevOpsy, uh, site reliance engineering type of teams. Then you might have even like complexity teams, you know, people working on technical devs. How is your team structured at, at the current business? Okay. So when, so, the the company do the sheet when we were acquired i think we were 15 maybe 16 people um and we have two products the original products duty sheet which is for um, special constables within the uk mm. and that's the name of the company duty sheet limited as well as uh the name of product duty sheet and then sometimes afterwards the company started making another product called assemble which is geared for um, um charities so it's used for managing volunteers, so what we, we call it a VMS, Volunteer Management um, System. Um, so it was quite a small company when we got acquired. We, Yeah, I don't remember the exact number, but we were quite small. And I think the reason why, you know, we, before I go back to why we gel so well, is because, you know, we're still kept as a, like a silo. We, we, we got acquired by Access, but we're still held together uh, within the group of access as a team, as an assembled team. That's a good call, isn't it? Yeah, well, um, it's interesting the, the way they work access. They have lots of different products. I mean, there's so many I don't even know. And we are what's called an NPE division, not profit and education. Um, last time I heard uh, there were 270 people in that division. It's probably quite a bit more now. Uh, and Access constantly acquires small companies, and when a small company acquired is acquired, I think it is very difficult to, for example, to make any redundancies because if it's a small company, the chances are that everyone is quite important in the work that they do. Like everyone is a key person, dependency of, of, of some sort. Uh, so I think that is one of the benefits um, for us as well. Is that when we were acquired. Um, no one was made redundant because everyone was needed to continue working on a product and obviously to for access to see um, return on their investment as well on the acquisition. We had we had some people who left, you know, naturally, and then some new people who joined as well. Um, but overall, there was very little uh, turnover. Um, so as a team, you know, we... It's it's really hard to say, you know, what what is a team? We have we have we have the assemble product, and you could say that is a large team, but with with it we have development, which is like a smaller team. Um, we have at the moment, I think we have four 
developers and we do both front end and back end. And a few of us will also do a little bit of DevOps. And we also have a QA team. So just QA. So you're all full stackers and you even yeah. you even bite into DevOps. Yeah. And then effectively you have quality assurance. Yeah. And that's the that's the setup. Yeah, that's the setup. So yeah, it, it, it is quite efficient. Um, we we are currently in the in the process of reducing the bus factor, if you will, mm. reducing the you know, key person dependencies, so mm. that if someone goes on holiday, there's still other people to cover. Single for point the of failure. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. So we are currently working towards reducing the you know probability of single point of failure mm. with, with within a person. Uh, but in in terms of team structure, yeah, it's it's pretty simple. You know, we don't have um, we we don't have the Spotify kind of model where you have guilds. Well, we we do have groups in in um, Microsoft Office uh, three six five thingy. Mm. We, some sort of groups we have like a massive guild of developers. I think so, one one thousand people or whatever the number is, maybe mm. more than that. So it's everyone from within. Within that, of access, you know, regardless if it's Java.net or PHP or, or Python, whatever else, if they're doing DevOps or front end. But uh, so, yeah, so we, we don't have the Spotify, you know, we have a guild and then you have a uh, what's the other thing? Tribes. Tribes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we, we were not doing that at the moment because uh, we, yeah, as in terms of, because that would be, ha- that would have to be done in terms of assemble as a product. There's loads of many different products. Mm. So you could, you could look at these build products they're almost as if self-contained businesses and companies not yeah. not quite there but you know mm. k- kind of it's interesting i mean uh, that was one of my follow-up questions is when you guys got acquired mm-hmm. that's often quite a painful time that mm. that beginning of acquisition because you suddenly you know go we we were intimate team yeah. and we are being plugged into yeah. this huge enterprise and and suddenly you know it just depends where you sort of come in and plug yourself in yeah. and you're getting so so much more communication nodes and suddenly you know maybe even your chi- titles changes because you you know yeah. you're slotting yeah. in and then there's a reporting lines and everything just becomes quite hotic until yeah. you sort of you know get into shape of being part of this new mm-hmm. body and then it just becomes a lot so so you you basically just got like left alone um, well, there was um, we we had to move from Jira into Azure DevOps. Um, we had to move from. I'm not. I, I think we we had to move from uh, Gmail or or um, the Google Office thing into Microsoft Office. So everything's Microsoft, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we still use AWS though. For our DevOps stuff, for we devs, were, yep. yeah, we were on the AWS. So it's Office three five six, which runs the enterprise, like Outlook, SharePoint, yeah. yeah. and you know Teams and all that. Yeah. And but then the the actual infrastructure of your product is still in AWS. Yeah, the infrastructure is still in the AWS. Is it because it's better? Is it because it's just it's just heavy to and bulky to lift and shift into Azure? Um, probably because it is um, in terms of benefit there's not that much benefit to lift and shift it and there's like no real co- reason to do it at cost the saving doesn't outweigh the work implied no i mean there might be cost saving in terms of partnership i don't know what that cost saving would mm. be uh but at the moment there's simply no need to move from yeah from um aws to to zero devops for us. That, look, yeah. there are some teams who are using it um, but there's also a bunch of teams who are, which are using AWS. Mm. 
I do like AWS personally, you know, I'm 12 years with AWS. Mm. But I do like what Azure is doing as well because yeah. they now have a, a proper edge with the with the LLMs, yep. which HTTP, everyone wants to do their own LLMs. They're giving infrastructure and as well. They have a very generous startup uh, funding campaigns. Yep. So you can get up to a quarter of a million, mm. you know, if, you, if you're basically building on their stack and their tech. And AWS doesn't do that. Yeah. So now they're getting the, the new breed of entrepreneurs basically coming in with, mm. you know, AI and innovating and they're getting all them into Azure. Mm -hmm. And you know, you know, as good as I do that once you buy into a tech, eventually it's actually becoming quite, quite, you know, difficult and expensive to yeah. move. So you're getting some vendor lock situation happening yeah, yeah, in yeah, that. for sure. Okay. Uh, so the team... Is it like one, two teams, three teams? So is it just one big family, which is like 15 you mentioned, like 12 to 15? One, I'd say it's probably more like one big family. Yeah, we have we have development team and we have a customer success team. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, how does your stand-up look like before you go into deeper? That's like, like how many people are online in that, in that morning stand-up? Um, could be nine, 10 people. Okay. That's so like, sales, yeah. sales um, are kind of separate um but we, yeah we, we have you know product owner we have um customer success we have support um development who mainly talks in it, that yeah. stand-up do you do like a proper let's go across the room everybody? yeah we go across the room and you know if anyone's got any updates if anyone's got any blockers uh that kind of thing and how, how long does it take then um 15 20 minutes sometimes half an hour Sometimes we use the stand-up to address any issues. For example, stand hey, guys, I had this problem, and then, okay, well, maybe try this. Uh, so sometimes it does drag on a little bit, but usually it is 95% of the time it's, it's less than half an hour, and we usually mm -hmm. do it at 10 a.m. as well. 10 do, a. M. do you get situa situations where you're like, you know, here's my situation, then you start getting into it, and someone goes like, let's just take it offline? Uh, sometimes we yeah. do, so yeah, you yeah, get sometimes, yeah. but it's not strict. Yeah. You know, it's not strict. Um, I call it a catch-up. <laughs> when the stand-up becomes something yeah, more than just yeah, a stand-up, I'm like, yeah. okay, we're doing a catch-up now. Yeah, well, I, I suppose because we are remote, so a stand-up is kind of stand-up slash catch-up. Yeah. You know, what did you, what did you do yesterday, and what will you do today? But that's um, that's a privilege of synchronous work. So you're still remote, but you all share the same time zone, isn't it? You're all online at the same yeah. time. We we have one uh, developer in Romania at the moment. So I think that is, he is two hours plus. That's still not not bad. No, that's really yeah. good. Yeah. That's still really good. It's yeah. not like, you know, you have on the other side of the world, someone in, I don't know, Malaysia or, yeah, here or you go. India or Australia. Yeah. You know, that, that, that would be quite difficult. Then kicks the business into a totally different mindset because yeah. then you basically, okay, we need to think asynchronously. So, yeah. uh, you know, we do the work, someone sleeps and we go to sleep, someone needs to continue yeah. our work. That just changes a lot of yeah. how you run these processes. So if we just talk very quickly around like how you get things done. So you stand up, of course, you know, yeah. do you guys do sprint? Did you Kanban? You know, did yeah. you scrum bands? Like what's yeah. the... We do two week sprints and we, before the acquisition, we used to do three week sprints actually. And we would, at, at the kickoff of each sprint, we would have an almost all day meeting and it was quite tiring. Um, then we went remote. We had a new person come on board who was a dedicated product owner. 
and she did a brilliant job at actually breaking that those meetings up into more but smaller meetings and that in in turn then that reduced the total time total meeting time even though you had you had more meetings that were split up the total time of the meetings were was less than the nearly whole day meeting we used to have but doesn't that sort of dilutes attention if you have i mean it's a question of timing but mm. you know if you have like one small meeting half an hour mm. one, another small meeting another an hour and mm. another third meeting like small mm. even like for me that's just chops my uh, yeah I, you know. i i don't think it dilutes attention i think mm. it actually improves attention because you you get the time to for example to focus on something else say do some development and it doesn't have to it, it doesn't happen in the same day you know you, right. you have your meetings spread out so Uh, you would have your sprint kickoff in one day. You then you'd have your uh, sprint retro. You know, and another day you would have a, a planning poker session at another day, and it's all spread out. And I actually, and I think that it is, it definitely improved my attention span because then I have half an hour in the day in the meeting where I need to focus in terms of listening to people and mm. you know bouncing ideas of each other. Whereas uh, before, when we we had that one day meeting. Uh, I would just burn out and get tired and, like, and zone out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, meeting in general is 45 minutes and you're done. Yeah. You need to either take a break for 15, come back yeah. and continue, or you're just going to be like, yeah. you know, your mind just going to go somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So are you doing this like in the mornings and then, you know, it's like every week, uh, every day within the week? Or is it just, you know, um, one in the morning and one in the evening? It's like, what's the... What's the cadence of these meetings? Uh, so well, we we do our daily 10 a.m.s. Yeah. Like the sprint, we you know the stand up, but it, it sometimes it becomes a catch up. 10 a.m.s. 10 a.m. Yeah. So you start at 10 or you start at 9? Uh, well, it's as remote. It depends on the person. You know, they can start at 10 if they like. There's no there's no hard. Um, okay. In terms of starting time, there's no hard. Uh, limits you have to start at nine or you start, mm. have to start at eight mm. right so by default you could say you start at 10 because that is where the uh, where um everyone gets to catch up i usually start at 10 ish and then i finish at like 6 30 mm. so that makes my contractual hours like you know seven, seven and a half a day uh some people like to not start at nine and you know finish 5 30 so it's quite flexible mm. in, terms of, in terms of when you know the start time and end, end time the key thing is to make sure that you have you attend all of the meetings that are in the calendar and if that is done then other than that it, there's quite a bit of flexibility in terms of you know starting and ending times and that's your your accountability likely it's not like yeah. someone follows and checks how many meetings you actually attend. No, it's not no. like a kpi it's just like hey no, guy no. let's just make sure we all there it's not yeah. even yeah it's it, it hasn't even been communicated but i i that's just the way i understand it you know because okay. you shouldn't Like if there's a meeting, you should attend it, right? You shouldn't. But be. sometimes, like I'll challenge this this one because I get invited to the bucket loads okay. of meetings, and sometimes I'm like, I don't need to be there. Yeah. Like you don't need me yeah. at that meeting, right? If I'm gonna come, one, my presence will dilute the meeting because everybody will look for me to say something. Yeah. Like you can make decisions without mm -hmm. me. Just let me know where you, you know, where we talked. And I get this a lot, and mm -hmm. I'm very like aggressive when it comes to protecting my diary mm -hmm. from from meetings I should mm -hmm. not be in. You see, I think that is um, because you come from a managerial position, right? Mm. You, so you'll have more people inviting you to meetings, whereas I come from a more of a hands-on, less management position. So any meetings that I'm invited to, 
are most likely where I'm likely like a needed. knowledge sharing or someone needs your opinion exactly mm-hmm. you know it's, it's it's like a quite an important meeting well like a sprint planning session or a sprint uh, poker session and things like that or you know um, we are discussing a new feature of some sort where there there is a need for developer input things like that mm-hmm. so you know in terms of um calendar business i'm quite lucky that it's not too busy for me okay so how let's say how many meetings a day you have and how much the total time of your meeting is per day on average on average so there's one other thing i'll have to mention mm. uh, on average i'll probably say maybe an hour a day an hour a day with, with, okay. the, with, the, with the daily stand-up yeah that's healthy and also uh we do have what we call a water cooler channel where well it is for devs mostly mm. but it's essentially you join the channel and you have your camera off but you switch on your <clears throat> team's avatar so you know teams do like these animated avatars and we all put mustaches on those avatars <laughs> for no reason yeah it's, it's, it's not, it's not even mustache november it's, yeah. it still goes up so yeah we have this water cooler channel so but it's not required to to join it if you let's say you want to bounce some some ideas of each other or if you i don't want to socialize a little bit about whatever mm. you join a channel some maybe someone else joins you know we chat a little bit maybe you don't chat you know uh so we do spend some time on that one as well but it's not a required meeting per se it's more like a socializing kind of thing with bouncing ideas of each other yeah. so gelling if you would like to if not yeah so it's okay i mean one hour uh, a day is, is is very healthy i wanted to ask if you have no meetings day which is quite popular no we don't because yeah. uh, every day we have a 10 a.m so there are days where we just have the 10 a.m at least for me i do um uh, i'm sure my manager doesn't have mm. those kind of days uh but yeah usually a thursday for me is a other than the 10 a.m is no other meetings on the thursday usually do you have any software which um, tries to sync up the diaries and makes makes a better sense of everyone's time i don't think no. we do no. no usually you know when you when we create a meeting invite there's that thing that outlook does where you can see if people are available yeah but other than that no we don't and, uh, do any I've seen a couple of them, and I'm, I was actually quite impressed how they just take the whole, you know, connection nodes, meaning all the people who exchange mm-hmm. information, and they just look at everyone's diaries, uh, especially on the scheduled meetings, which are, you know, uh, always going, and they go like, you know, here's a better timeline mm-hmm. for efficiency okay. and concentration. Yeah, it's, it's um, impressive on a paper, though. I yeah, mean, that sounds impressive. Yeah, well, we'll exactly, like, like how for, from an action yeah. point. Yeah. But anyway, sorry. So no. if we go back to you know like Sprint Kanban and stuff, so we used to do a three Sprint weeks. Then we went to Kanban, and then when we got acquired by Access, we had to go back to Sprints because that's how they work in terms of their um, quarters. You know, financial quarters. They they have a bunch of Sprints per quarter, and they have a bunch of features that they want to you know, must, shoulds, and coulds per quarter, mm. and. Um, so we 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 had to go back to uh two week sprints because that is um i don't know seems seems to work better in terms of iteration so if you went scrum kanban scrum you have this like fresh um experience of of 
you know going like i like sure. this because of this and i didn't like that because of that is like mm-hmm. what's what's your take on like kanban and Spir- um, and scrum sure so uh three week sprints too long mm. um kanban is i like kanban but i think things can drag on a little bit so if you're working on a feature you know it's kanban uh, so there is no, say, a cutoff, a sprint cutoff, mm. right, to deliver that feature. It's like, oh, sorry, guys, it's taking a little too long, or, you know, we need to also do X, Y, Z. Mm. Uh, so I think... They lose the finish line or pushes, yeah. k- kicks the can down. down. Yeah. What's the saying? Yeah, but it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I I, I do like Kanban, no, I did like it. Uh, uh, but in terms of two-week sprints, I think there's the benefit of uh there being like a target where you you have to finish the sprint and even let's say if you don't completely wrap up a ticket at least there's well a little of pressure in terms of making sure there is substantial progress on mm. the ticket because you know the things that we put in a sprint we try to make sure that we can achieve in a sprint exactly right? and if yep. there's if there's a t- if the ticket is too big to fit in the sprint then that means we have to break it up okay what do you think about I want to say culture, but it's not really culture. But what do you think about team? What's the word I'm looking for? Effectively, teams who don't do deadlines and don't do goals, they just go like, it's going to take as long as it's going to take. Well, if they can, if they have the luxury to afford that, mm. I think that's great. Yeah. You know, I, I, I would yeah. love that if we were able to say, hey, you know, there's no deadline. Fix all of the technical debt. Well, it's probably not such a thing, right? <laughs> all well, of it. I've been part of this business. Uh, I don't want to give it a name because uh, you know it might be a negative thing to say. But that was that was, that was being led by 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 yeah, quite from you know top down, and mm-hmm. it was it was effectively saying that you know we don't like deadlines. We don't want to put dates on mm-hmm. anything. We just want to. You know, have a, a thing we want to build, and we're gonna go ahead and build it, mm. and and you know, then it's gonna take as long as it's gonna take, and mm. but you know, we're just gonna manage the process of building it rather sure. than aiming at we have to build it in two yeah. months. I thought it's healthy. I I, okay. I I really liked it as an opinion, but then I experienced it for about like nine months, and I was like, I don't think people actually give a shit. Yeah. It just it just doesn't feel like people have account accountability, and it just dilutes accountability, sure. right? And then it just becomes like, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Oh, look, this nice thing. So I'm gonna mm-hmm. go over there, and I'm gonna maybe play with this. Now I'm gonna come back to it because there's no real accountability to get sure. the date. You you stop prioritizing. You just basically yeah. you know you start looking at things differently. Yeah. So it sounds it sounds sounds interesting, but I think. In my opinion, when you talk about a thing that needs to be built, that you probably still have sub goals that mm. you want to achieve while you're building it out. And I think it is healthy to have a little bit of pressure and a little bit of worry about achieving something. Not too much, obviously, you know, too much pressure. No, no one wants that. But just a little bit where, you know, oh, it would be nice to deliver this by this date and then you actually try to do that. I think, I think that is healthy. Um, yeah, I'm a big believer that nothing nothing grows in the comfort zone. Mm, so, mm-hmm. like, you have to be at, at the edge of your comfort. That's yeah. where the growth happens. And yeah. and that way, way, way you just said about the you know the pressure. So mm. it, it cannot be too much where no. you just cave and you just you know work out or you just don't yeah, respond break well. Down, nervous breakdown. But something. it has to be definitely more than what you do on your like Sundays by by yourself, something like that. Right? You, yeah. you have to have that area. Where where that growth happens, so yeah, if there's no pressure, 
Yeah. yeah, I think I think I would I would like to have some sort of goals because then you try to build a timeline. I want to do this by this date, by that by, by that date. It, it is like a plan, isn't it? You're planning to achieve something. You know how much you can achieve. What is your cadence? You know, you know where you're going exactly. Right? Without yeah. the goal, you just you're just drifting. Yeah, effectively, you just where the wind yeah. blows. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, who's a person you know I should interview next? Sure. So. As you know yourself, you, you you brought me into web development, so you know I highly respect you, and you've been a great mentor as well. And then other person who's been also very influential in terms of being a mentor um, is Mark Mark Firth, and he was my manager at NetSend, and then he was also my manager at Jellyfish. Really great guy, really knowledgeable, um, really someone who achieves a lot. In a short amount of time, you know, was able to focus. Anyway, long story short, he uh, started doing his own um, consultant, cloud consultancy thing mm. called Fernie. Uh, he's doing it with another awesome, really strong DevOps guy. Uh, his name is Ashley Maloney. Um, so Ash and Mark teamed up. They, they're doing, uh, started a company called Fernie. And uh, if you invite Mark, I think you would have some okay. I'll really, give a shout really to good Mark. To- topics to, to right. talk about. Alright, cool. Thanks. Thanks, Martin. Let's do New Year's. Alrighty, thanks for having me. Alright, let's do New Year's. Cheers.